Good morning. It's really good to see all of you here today, and it's been a very special day already with the Parent Commitment Day, and uh, we are certainly praying for our families that have made those commitments, and we want to be there alongside of you to help with that. And, um, you know, it's good, too, because we're here for this first day of a new series that we're starting, uh, a new sermon series called Live Ready. And um, we, we all want to be ready, right? No matter what, we want to be ready. For whatever comes in life, we want to be ready. We want to be ready for the things that, you know, could mess stuff up in our life. And we want to be ready if Jesus comes back again. We want to be ready. So we want to be ready for any and every thing that can come our way. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how to live ready. And as we all know, life can throw us some pretty wicked curveballs sometimes, not to mention we live in the midst of constant change, and this constant change can often cause us to question God, to be confused about our faith, and to have doubts, and we see that out in our culture. Have you ever struggled with doubts about your faith? I would imagine that most of us have at some point or another. There was another famous person who struggled as well, someone that most of you have probably heard of. His name was John Wesley. Anybody here ever heard of John Wesley? Well, John Wesley lived in England from 1703 to 1791. He was the 15th of 19 children. Think about that. Um, you, you mamas out there, think about that. Uh, his mom homeschooled them all. His father was a pastor in the Anglican church, and John himself became a pastor in that same church. And early on as a minister, uh, Wesley struggled with doubts about his faith. He shared this with a good friend, Peter Bueller, and Bueller gave him some really good advice. He said, preach faith until you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. So basically, fake it till you make it. Now, I, I know it's got to be real, it's got to be genuine, but that's what he did. He took that advice, and soon after, he led someone to the Lord. And this person gladly accepted the message that he had preached, and that person's life was changed. But John Wesley's life was changed too. He was surprised at this man's sudden life change because Wesley himself hadn't really experienced that same kind of change. So soon after, on May 24th, 1738, and he was able to say at 8.45 p.m., he was at a meeting of believers at Aldersgate and as he was listening to someone read Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans, he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So God unexpectedly showed up in that moment for John Wesley. He felt his heart strangely warmed and discovered he did have faith. 
And friends, God can show up in any situation at any moment and change a life. Often when we least expect him. With Wesley, the rest is history. His life certainly did change. He went on to start the Methodist movement in both England and the U.S. And when he died at age 88, he left behind 130,000 people who had given their lives to Christ. And he had hundreds of thousands of dollars that passed through his hands that he channeled on to those who were poor, to the widows, to the hungry, and more. He died nearly broke with only a few coins in his pocket because he distributed so much wealth to those who were in need, keeping a bare minimum for himself. Now, throughout this series, we're going to talk about how God can show up for us like he showed up for John Wesley. And he can show up for us in any situation that we face at any moment. And how we must learn to live ready through the highs and through the lows. The most important aspect of being ready is having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now sometimes we can give in to our doubts. We give up on faith. The only other choice is that we put our trust in ourselves or we trust in the world. Well, here's the problem I think most of us can attest to. When I put my trust in myself, I'm going to let myself down. Anybody here can say, I've done that, been there. Or if I trust in people, people are bound to disappoint us. We, we do not know when troubles are going to come. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But one day He will, and we want to be ready for Him at any moment. So friends, we have to ask and, and, and take an honest assessment of ourselves, of our hearts, of our lives, and ask ourselves if we have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, or are we putting our hope and trust in ourselves, or are we putting our hope and trust in the world, because those things are going to let us down. But Jesus, and what He did on the cross, that is not going to let us down. And once we make this decision, we don't have to be afraid of anything that might come our way. And so in today's message, we're going to focus on readying our souls. And I have a question to ask you. Are you ready? Are you ready for anything and everything that could come your way? Is your soul ready to meet the Lord? Now only you know that. I don't know that. But you know that deep down in your heart. And I want to encourage you with this big idea today to make a decision about who you're going to start trusting in, in your life so that your soul is ready for the next life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, help us to live vigilant and ready lives as we commit fully to you and your ways. Let us prosper through the highs and the lows of life as you faithfully lead us. Help us to be ready for whatever may come. May we keep watch for Jesus' return. Help us to be ready when Jesus comes back. Help us to learn what we need to learn so that we can be ready. Help us to stay ready so we don't have to get ready. 
May we live for Christ every day. And may those who have not come to Christ, maybe they're listening today online or here on campus, help them to make that decision today that will change their life and their eternity forever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now when I say live ready, I'm sure there are many images that come to your mind. For me, I think about being alert, being awake, sort of like you're standing guard and waiting for the enemy to come. And in a way, that is true because the enemy does want to come and he does want to steal our souls and take us away from God. But regarding our souls, we've got to stay awake and alert throughout our lives. God can and will show up in some of the most unexpected and unusual moments. So, first of all, we have to keep watch. Now, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn over to Matthew 24, or you can read on the screen behind us. But the, Matthew 24, this is a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about the future, things that are to come. And here's what He challenges us to do in the passage. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 42, Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house or let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Are you ready? Are you ready for that to happen? Now Jesus was speaking about Himself. He said that we must keep watch for His coming. And what did He mean by this? The Bible is certainly speaking about His second coming. We know Jesus had already come once. He was there present with those disciples. He was born as a little baby just like any other human being is born to save us from our sins. And so Jesus had a first coming, right? And there came a point in His ministry when He was going to return back to heaven. However, He surely left us with the promise as we await His return. Wouldn't it be so cool if we could know when a crime was going to be committed at our house? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, because then you could call the police and you could say, somebody's coming to steal from my house right at this moment. And, and that's what would happen. We could set a trap. But thieves don't normally come when we're expecting them. Now, now did you know that in today's day, most thieves come between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Do you know why that is? They don't want to see people, you know. They want to get in when people are gone at work. That's right. And so that's what they'll do. Now, if it's a business that's, you know, closed down for the night, they might break in there in the middle of the night because no one is there. Now, the thief wants to come when he has the least resistance. But the real point of Jesus' words is that we need to be ready at all times. We need to be keeping watch for Him. He's not going to tell us this is the exact time I'm coming 
And so we just have to stay ready. He will come when people least expect him. Will you be home when Jesus comes? That's the question you have to answer. No one fully knows when the Son of Man will return, but the fact that he will return should affect our daily living. If Jesus is to come back, wouldn't you agree there is work to be done? I believe there is. In Acts 1.8 we, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now Jesus was speaking to his disciples at that moment, preparing them for the time he was going to be leaving. And he was, he was about to ascend back to the Father when he said this. And so he called them to be ready wherever they were to share his message of hope and salvation with all the world. And friends, I would say that is our challenge as well. With this kind of message and task, we do not have to be afraid of things that would come our way. Maybe today you feel as if there's something holding you back from going all in with Jesus. Maybe you feel like your joy has been stolen from you countless occasions or you have lost all hope to keep moving forward. And regardless of where you are today, the message of Christ is still the same. You will face trouble, according to John 16, 33. But take heart and keep watch, for I have overcome the world and empower you as well. Are you truly ready all the time, as Jesus says in this Matthew passage? There's a pastor named Levi Lusco who once said, if Jesus came back right in the middle of you sinning against God, what would that be like? <laughs> now, I, sometimes I've heard people say things like, well, I just couldn't help myself. You ever heard somebody say that about sin? I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't help myself. Well, my old mentor and pastor, Dolan Baker, asked a question in a sermon one time. He said, let's say, you know, from the boy's point of view, you are at the girlfriend's house or the girl, you, your boyfriend is at your home and the parents are away watching a movie or something and you're both sitting on the couch and you begin to kiss and one thing's leading to another. Okay, all the adults in the room know where I'm going. Suddenly, you see the car lights come into the driveway. You see them, they come through the window and you realize the parents have come home early. Let me ask you, can you stop? Can you stop? Yes, yes you can stop. Wouldn't that change your decision making? If you had the attitude that the car lights are there, that Jesus is there with you all the time, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, would it change? the way we act? Would it change the way we treat people? Would it change how we speak? Would it change what we're watching or what we're listening to? I've had people I don't know playing golf with me and they're just using some filthy language. 
And when they find out I'm a preacher, they start apologizing to me. Well, listen, don't apologize to me. It's not me you're offending. It's God. And he's been with us before I ever showed up. This image should be one we keep in front of our minds daily. God calls us to say no to certain things in the world so that we may say yes to the things that He wants to offer us. We have to keep watch over our lives and invite those and do that process with us as we continue growing in our faith and in our hope and in our love. And another thing we need to do is we need to keep learning. As we think about the lifelong process of faith, and you know, it is a lifelong process. And the continuous work of sanctification in our lives, it is imperative that we stay curious and stay committed to learning. We, we never know it all. There are some people that they want to act like they know it all, right? But we never know it all. The Word of God is meant to serve as our guide for everyday life here on earth. Isn't it a beautiful thing that Jesus did not leave us without the help of the Holy Spirit? Some of us here may know the story of Joshua in the Old Testament. And here's what the Lord says in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. God says one of the keys for Joshua to prosper and succeed was that uh, in every day he would be studying the book of the law, that the law would guide his every move. Well, in this case for us today, we have the entire book of the Bible. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and I want to ask you, does the Bible <coughs> really take priority in your life? Are you saturated with the Word of God every day? Or are you content just to sort of sprinkle a little bit here or there? Friend, I want to tell you, you know, God has written us this book, and it's there to help guide us and help us be ready. We need to be in that Word every day. We need to be praying every day. Even as pastors or church leaders, we can have those moments where we feel like we've sort of drifted away from the Word. There have been times when I, I would just be so caught up in my to-do list that often God was uh, put on the, well, when I'm finished with everything else I have to do list. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, in August of 2022, last year, we encouraged everyone to join us in 100 days of prayer. Um, I'm not going to ask a show of hands of how many that did that, but I really believe a bunch of our uh, members did that. I started that journey, and after the 100 days, I'm still on that journey. And I can tell you when I've not been reading and I've not been praying like I should, I'm spiritually weaker than I want to be. My lack of intimacy with God and His Word can leave me feeling dry. 
Anybody else here with me? I'm not the only one that's uh, had issues with this. But praise God, since I started that journey, I have felt a closeness that I've never felt before. And I have a yearning for God's word and a time to pray. I have a peace that I've needed as I've gone through difficult things in my life, like my mother passing uh, this past April. And I, I believe in part that that is why we are seeing what I believe to be revival in our church. In fact, uh, I'm seeing this all around. I'm seeing people coming to Christ in so many different churches. <clears throat> I even saw, like, I don't know how many of you saw The Blind. And I, I don't get up and uh, encourage people to go to movies very often. But The Blind is a movie you need to go see. And what I've learned is that after watching that movie, hundreds and hundreds of young people are being baptized into Christ immediately after watching the movie. Now that is an impactful movie. But it tells me that this country, we've gone so far away from God. Our culture has drifted so far away from God. But I believe there's a revival. And I believe His Spirit is moving. And I can see it every week and every day. We've had baptisms in our church week after week after week. And this past week, this past Wednesday, Ryan Sullivan over here. Ryan, we love you, brother. We love you. He was baptized into Christ. So when we're turning our hearts toward God, God responds. We all hit those seasons where we feel distance from God and His Word. But in those seasons, our painful and tragic situations seem to be multiplied and, and they become very difficult for us if we're not in God's Word and not in prayer. The Bible is meant to guide us through our responses in every scenario in life. The question is, will we do it God's way? When we get into a situation, will we seek God's leading in how to deal with that situation? If the answer is to be yes, we must keep learning about what God says in His Word. And even if it doesn't speak to that situation specifically, we have enough of God's wisdom to be able to draw from that and understand what God would want us to do. This looks like some sort of daily devotion, possibly. It's similar to what a heart doctor would tell you. You know, if you want to stay healthy, maybe you need to, you know, go out and just uh, walk 30 minutes a day. That's what some doctors would say. To, th this is how we strengthen our muscles of our physical body. Now, the doctor might also warn us against some bad habits we have. If we're smoking, the doctor may say, you know, you need to give up that smoking because it's really damaging your heart. And it increases the odds of a bad outcome. So it's the same with our spiritual life. If we want to become closer to God and respond well to the tough things we are facing, we must not only keep watch, but we must stay committed to learning. And we need to avoid those things that are proven detrimental to our spiritual health. If that means making sure that uh, you form some good habits of reading the Bible and praying every day, do it. If it means getting rid of some bad habits, 
that you recognize in life, do it. It might even mean developing some new friendships, maybe getting involved in a spiritual group, a, a small group, and we have plenty of those at the church. And sometimes it might mean that we need to get away from some friends that have had some bad influences on us. But it's all a learning process. And I know so much more than I knew when I was 20. How many of you can say, I know a lot more than I did when I was 20? Now, if you're 19, you can't say that, okay? But, uh, but I've still got a lot of learning to do. And I encourage you, if you want to live ready for Jesus' return, if you want to live ready for any and every situation that can pop up in your life, be, be committed to learning as much as you can. There's one last thought I want to share with you, and that is, if you want to live ready, come to Christ. The reality of living ready and vigilant lives over our souls, our eternal state of being, is that we are ultimately all in need of having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now in Romans 3.23, the scripture makes it very clear. We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. That means there's not one person in here that is better than anybody else. I've sinned and you've sinned. Everyone has sinned. Since the time of Adam and Eve, sin has separated man from God. Most of you are familiar with the text in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what is this telling us? Well, first of all, it tells us where we were without Jesus. And it mentions several things. It mentions a wage. Now, what is a wage? Tell me. Something that you earn. Something that you went out and worked for, right? And it says that the wages of sin, what is sin? disobedience to God. It's when we know what God wants us to do and we don't do it, or we know of something that God doesn't want us to do and we do it anyway. That is sin. It's not a very popular word in our culture today, but it's still here with us, right? So the wages, what we earn of sin because of our disobedience to God is death. Now, what is death? Death means literally separation. Now, friends, you know that there are two kinds of deaths. There is the first death where my body and soul are separated. This body is just a tent. And one day it's not going to work anymore. It, it was never meant to be eternal. But there is a soul within me. That is who I really am. Not the body, thank God, but the soul, right? So that soul is eternal. And it's going to be in one place or another. Now the first death is when my body and soul are separated. We might even say that we're separated from our loved ones that we leave behind. But friends, there is a second death that's even more serious. And that is the separation from God for eternity. We will all experience the first death. Unless Jesus comes back first. But we don't all have to experience the second death. 
In Revelation 20, 14, the, the Bible tells us, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Now think about what it would mean to be separated from God for eternity. That means that everything good that God has blessed you with will be gone. And that's where we were before Jesus. Because what we earned as a result of our disobedience to God was to be separated from Him forever. But, what a great word but is. Y'all understand how big a word but is? That means it doesn't have to be this way. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The text tells us where we can be through Christ if we come to Christ. We can receive a gift. Now what is a gift? Something you didn't earn. It's freely given. Unconditional. You don't deserve it. And the gift comes from who? God. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. There is no sin in God. And that gift is eternal life. The opposite of death. The opposite of being separated from God. Eternal life means we're with God in His presence forever and ever and ever and ever. No end in sight. And it all comes through who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. We cannot have this if we don't have Jesus. Our response is to accept this gift and come to Him personally. And the good news is the Bible tells us exactly how to do it. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon, the first day of the church, when he was finished preaching, the Bible says the people were cut to the heart. You know why? Because they were convinced that Jesus had died and that they were responsible. They knew that they had sinned against God. And they heard Peter, as he called out their sin of rejecting the Son of God and having had Him crucified. It shattered their world to recognize their sin. They knew this caused a separation between them and God. And they asked Peter, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? How can we get the stain of Jesus' blood off of us before we face the creator and judge of mankind. And Peter said, as recorded in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they believed in Peter's message. They believed Jesus was the Son of God. They cried out to find out how they might be saved. And he told them to repent. In other words, to turn away from their rejection of Jesus and live for Him. Friends, repentance is not just a feeling of being sorry. It's not just, oh, I, I, you know, I feel bad that I did something. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Separation from God forever. You see, just feeling guilty about something 
doesn't change things. That's worldly sorrow. It's being sorry that I got caught and not sorry that I disobeyed God. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, brings repentance. And repentance literally means an act of the will to go in a different direction, to choose the path towards God. When we make that decision to come to Christ, we are thrilled at the opportunity to acknowledge Him before others. That is called our confession of faith. In Romans 10, 9 we read, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is an ongoing confession for the rest of our lives. But Peter also mentioned baptism. If they wanted to be saved, they should repent and be baptized. Peter says, for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And some people get a little confused when they think about baptism because they think that baptism is a work of man. But friends, I want to show you the baptism is not a work of man. It is a work of God. Because when we are baptized, God is spiritually washing away our sins. When we are baptized, God sends His Spirit to dwell in us. When we are baptized, we are forgiven if we have repented of our sins. When we are baptized, we are clothed with Jesus. In other words, we wear Him on the outside, almost like we would wear our favorite team's jersey. And so everyone that sees us knows we represent Jesus now. And when we are baptized, God removes our sinful self to be replaced by the Spirit. Now some people have wrongly compared baptism to the Old Testament Jewish circumcision. Well friends, the only place in Scripture that has the two in the same text reveals again that baptism is a work of God. In Colossians 2, 11 through 12, we read, In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. That was the work of man, right? The circumcision. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. If circumcision was the cutting off of the flesh by human hands, baptism is the moment that Christ circumcised our sinful nature or our flesh. So it's not a work of man, but a work of God. Unless you think that baptism has nothing to do with our salvation how would we explain in 1 Peter 3.21, and this water, he was speaking about uh, uh, Noah and the ark, uh, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, through God's grace, we are offered this amazing gift. We have to make a choice whether we want to live for the world or we want to live for Christ. Those two choices are before us. Do you choose death or do you choose life? What is it in your heart today that's keeping you from a relationship with Christ? 
I speak from personal experience when I say that this relationship will truly change everything in your life. Will you give up chasing after the world and all the things the world offers and the sinful nature and the flesh? Will you ready your soul and commit yourself to Him? Let's pray. Father, move in our hearts. Prepare our souls, Father, for Jesus' return. Prepare our souls for whatever may come in life. Help us to live a godly life until that time. Help us to be ready at all times, to live ready. Help us to keep watch, Father. May we not be caught off guard. Guard our hearts and protect us until that time. Help us to learn all we can and grow in our relationship with Jesus. And for those who may be listening today, I pray your spirit will move them to make a decision about Jesus. Father, we are thrilled to see so many people, not just here, but around the world who are coming to Christ. Bring revival to our land, Lord, and let it begin with me and let it begin with us. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.